Welcome to Stemming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha, a podcast for and about women of color in STEM. These women are brave, beautiful, and brilliant. Their stories deserve and need to be heard. Their voice strong, their message clear, their experiences priceless. Now let's welcome this wonderful winning woman of color to the show. And welcome to this episode of Stimming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha. Okay, and you guys know how I do it, right? I only bring you the best, you know. <laughs> um, so it's the latest episode of Stimming in Stilettos, y'all. And you guys, every time I get a guest, you guys know I do a little happy dance around uh, my office. Um, but this time she found me. You, you guys already know that I was doing a little happy dance, right? So she came to my website. Y'all already know. <laughs> so we're going to talk about all the things. And so um, Orieta, and I got her I got her name right, y'all. I practiced beforehand because you already know. Like my name, my name gives gives everybody fits because it's, it's not spelled like you would normally find, you know, find Natasha. So you guys know I had to practice. Um, I'm so happy to have you on the show. I, I just, you made my day. Okay. I just really want you to know you made my day. I love, love it when, when women in STEM, minority women in STEM want to tell their story because we should, because we we're out here, we have stories to tell and they need to be told. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for just stepping up and saying, Hey, here I am. Please have me on the show. So thank you for just for just volunteering. <laughs> yes. Yes, I love it. Okay. So, please tell us your STEM story. Yeah, absolutely. I you know, my STEM story uh starts out with a little go- a girl who got rejected to go to kindergarten. I was um <laughs> I was um 4 years old and you know how there's a kinder like deadline. And so my kinder deadline, I think my birthday was like two weeks later from the kinder Mm -hmm. deadline. And my best friend down the street was starting kindergarten. And so the teacher comes to my house um, to do like the kindergarten test. And she's asking me questions. And she asked me, how many fingers and toes do you have? And I was quiet for a little bit. And then she goes, you know, you can take your shoes off if you need to. But I didn't know how to count. Mm. Right. And so I didn't get into kindergarten that year. And I was like so disappointed. But my dad, we started to do is when he would come home from work, we would sit down at the dining table. And with raw pinto beans, he started teaching me to count. Mm. And through that year, the counting turned into addition and then turned into subtraction. And so my STEM story really started with this kind of um, love for math, yeah. but more so the drive of it was because of a rejection I got as a little girl. Love that. So, so I, th- I feel like you're one of the, the your st- STEM story started <laughs> with, with pinto beans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, 
I just love that. But you know what? What I love even more about that story is that, you know, I mean, we could say it started with the rejection, but but really it started with, you know, a kind of a drive for learning. You know, it's sort of like there's this, there's this, there was this innate desire for you to say, you know what, I want that. Like I want to be someplace where learning is happening. And so in order for that to happen, you had to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And I also had a parent who was willing to teach me and spend time with me to do that. Uh, that's even better. That's you know? even better. Yeah. Um, and so when I got to kindergarten, I was one day I was playing at the money station that my Mrs. Miller had, Mrs. Miller. And she had coins, right? Fake play coins. And one day I was looking at the coins and I was playing with them and I got really excited because I felt like I discovered that there is multiple ways to make a dollar with coins. Mm. So I go to Miss Miller and I'm like, Mrs. Miller, did you know that you can make a dollar with four quarters or 10 dimes or 20 nickels? I was so excited about this like um, discovery. And she's like, yes, Orieta, yes, there's more, go back. So I go back and I'm like, that's weird. Like, how, how do you do it more? I'm like, oh, okay. So I started playing around and I would come back, you know, two quarters, uh, two quarters and five dimes. And I kept going and she's like, there's more. Mm-hmm. And that really, you know, her encouragement and feeding my curiosity really helped me to understand like one, like there's multiple ways to solve a problem. And just get my critical thinking skills in there. And I think the thing that I discovered the most of that was at the end of that, I realized that when I would go to the gas station down the street and I'd pay for the dollar for the candy, that it didn't matter what coins they would give me. What mattered was that the change was the exact change. Mm. And so I learned that there was practical like math, there was a practical, um, there were, there was something useful with math because by that time I just, that was just counting and adding and subtracting was just math. Right. But now there's this practical usage of math. Right. Right. And so, um, my like love for math was really, um, my foundation into like my STEM journey. When I got to high school, um, I had a math teacher, Mr. Gonzalez, and he he one day had said, hey, um, Arizona State University had this has this math and science program. And it's a program in the summer where you go and you could take a math class or a science class. And he, she's like, go and take, you know, I think you should sign up for this class. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I was probably, I think I just finished my sophomore year and they had, I had gone, I'm so, I'm from a small town. I'm from rural Arizona. I grew up in small mining and farming communities. My hometown is about like 10,000 people in Southern Arizona. And um, I had gone to like the next biggest little town next to me (laughs) because I lived like an hour away from the city and I had to take this test to test into this thing. And it was like, do as many math problems as you can in the allotted time and show all your work. Um, And I tested into calculus. And so I started um, when I got to ASU, you know, everybody was on this, these long lines and I'm like in the long waiting and they're like, oh no, you're in calculus. 
which was the highest class that they had. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And I loved it because calculus is like my favorite probably math uh, subject. And I loved it. But what I learned while I was on campus was that I really did want to go to college and living there and being with the students. And I was like, this is the next thing to do. And my parents are um, immigrants. They're Mexican immigrants. My um, I'm the fourth of five kids. My oldest sister was the first one in our family to go to college. And actually, um, she kind of instilled in the rest of us that college is the next thing to do after high school, right? So um, when I graduated, I went to ASU. Um, I was an undecided major. And I had like five things I wanted to do. I wanted to do math. I wanted to do engineering. I wanted to do business. I wanted to do astronomy. And I wanted to do film. And so I had a film class, astronomy class. I had a business class. I was already in, I don't know, some high-level calculus class, right? But I was undecided. Wow. Yes, I see that. You You were undecided. Yeah. Yeah. And... By the way, I thought I had four years to decide a major because oh. no one told me that you needed to decide it when you started. Yikes. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, my, my, uh, I had a, in the bottom of my residence hall on the first floor was the academic advisor for the undecided. And he meets with me and he's like, essentially was like in a very gentle way, was like, uh, what are you doing? And you <laughs> find a major like by the end of the semester oh okay wow (laughs) okay yes you got you got you know what is it 16 weeks yeah (laughs) 16 weeks to decide your life right yes decide now decide now yeah and so um I went and tried to figure out what of these five a couple months later I was very proud of myself because I was like hey uh hey Osaro I'm going to do engineering I was very proud to tell him that. And then he says, which one? Oh, right. And I was like. There's still a choice. There's many. <laughs> I <was> like, what? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so um, I ended up choosing industrial engineering and I got my undergrad in industrial engineering. And a lot of it was, there was a foundation of math. I had a focus in international business. So three of the five things that I wanted to do kind of encompassed within that degree. Got it. That's actually a really smart choice. I see it. Okay. Yeah. And so um, when I was an undergrad, I did a study abroad in Mexico. I went to uh, Monterrey, uh, to Tec de Monterrey, and I was studying international business there. And um, when I was there, you know, I was around a lot of international students. And at that point, I was like, wow, I just, there's so much of the world I want to see. And growing up in Southern Arizona, I would always be in Mexico with my family. But outside of Arizona, New Mexico, Mexico, I hadn't really left or been other places, right? Right. And gotten exposed. And now being a student in Mexico, I'm exposed to these international students from all over the place. And now my curiosity to travel and my curiosity to learn about other cultures kind of like started. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I love that for you. I love that you were able to sort of take 
take all of, well, the majority of your loves and kind of marry them into a major, into a career, actually, where you could at least entertain and kind of juggle them all in a way that was kind of beautiful. But that's the way that that that's the way that STEM sort of works. Right. And and it, I tell people this all the time. It's just it's like people kind of try to pigeonhole STEM into like these, you know, buttoned up, you know, old white guys, you know, with like the, you know, you know, like you like it's it's like they, they have a picture of what it is. And we are, and I always try to tell people it is really not that like, you know, the, 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 the picture that they should have is just like pictures of us. Yeah. Cause it's like, we represent STEM and it's like, we don't look like the, we don't, we don't look like old white people. Right. Right. Like we are not them. Like we're fun. We're beautiful. We're intelligent. We're like none of those things. Um, And so we are vibrant. We are, you know, all of the things um, and then some, right? And so that people have this stodgy kind of view of what STEM is, is just so like foreign and outdated. And so we like, we want to bring STEM forward into what it really is and um, and really open people's mind to the possibilities of it is just such a beautiful an eye-opening, opening and stimulating thing. And like bring it into the 21st century, please. Yes. It's just like it's so, it's just, it's all the things and more. And I try to try to get people like when I try, you know, talk to talk to young people and people are like, it's, you know, it's like it's, 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 it's old. And it's like people are not doing that. And I'm like, you're doing it, right? Like, you know, anytime like they're doing AI stuff or they're using chat GPT or they're doing, I'm like, you're doing STEM stuff all, like when you think you're not, when you're doing, when you're doing anything on your phone, you're doing STEM stuff. It's like you're doing STEM and you don't even know you're doing STEM. So I just try to make people see that it's everywhere and everybody's doing it. It is. And I often talk about, you know, that I think STEM is, um, uh, we're a hidden occupation or, you know, and no one sees us, we're invisible, right? Like we don't realize the engineering that goes behind, like just turning our lights on and having clean water come through our faucets, that it's engineers that build the, the roads, the car you're driving in. Uh, the foundation you're wearing and the lipstick, like there's chemists and scientists, everything behind everything. And and we're kind of, um, you know, we're hidden. And so it's really hard for people to see because you don't see us like you see the teacher or the doctor or the lawyer on TV. And, and I think it's through these stories and, and through podcasting, these platforms that we have that we can start showcasing, you know, what are the possibilities? Like you said. Yeah. I just I love that um, we get an opportunity to talk about and and uh, the, talk about the careers that we have. Um, can you talk? Can you can you bring us forward? Yes, to- I'm going to bring us forward. Okay. Yes, okay. yes, <laughs> I'm going to bring us forward. Let's go. So um, my first job, I, I left Arizona to move to South Carolina and I was um, I was working at a gas turbine factory. Wait a minute. So you went clear across the country. I went clear across the country. Wow. I've never been there before. I accepted this job. It was a it was a rotational program um, in operations, uh, operations management. And um, 
I get there and this factory is just enormous. Like they have these long bays, long as long as football fields. And like, I'm so amazed. Like a gas turbine is, I don't know how many size is like five, 10 times bigger than a, a jet engine. And just watching it getting built and like it opened up and buttoning it together. I was like, oh my God, like one day, all I want to do is manage a factory. This, this is like the coolest thing ever. And so um, I reached out to other women. They weren't in that factory at the site I was, but other women who had managed factories. And I was like, okay, what do I need to do to get there? Like, what jobs do I need to take? What skills do I need? You know, you know, spill the tea, like, tell me. Right. And so all of them, you know, and talked about, okay, well, you need to know delivery, like, you know, production delivery, you know, know about cost, you need to know about safety, you know, about quality, you need to be a people manager, right? Mm -hmm. And, and then they were like, in this company, it's also important to become an expat, like work abroad, Mm -hmm. right? And so um, I started focusing on getting those types of jobs. And I even got a job uh, in Mexico, in Aguascalientes, which is central Mexico, um, at a, at a, uh, a text, uh, uh, it's called a maquiladora, but it's a textile factory. There oh, okay. the company had. Yeah. And so, um, and so I got the expat, I did all this stuff. And then, um, I was, I had a girlfriend and she was, um, uh, a coworker of mine. And she was like, Hey, I want to go to grad school thinking about getting an MBA. My boyfriend's in Boston. Will you come with me to all the MBA informationals? And I was like, yeah, I want to do an MBA too, but I want to stay at the company because I love it. And, um, but I want to do like local, like a local MBA program. So you come to me with the local MBA programs. I'll go with you to the Boston ones, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So then I heard about MIT had this program, which was a dual master's, an MBA and a master's in engineering. And it was a two-year program. That sounds well, it sounded amazing to me because I was like, I was like, well, I'll quit my job for two degrees, but I'm not going to quit my job for just one. Like, I don't know. That was my logic, right? Because okay. you had to leave. So um, she gets accepted into HBS and I get accepted into MIT. And so when I got there, I think the biggest thing that I learned was up until this point, I had only worked in these factories, right? And I wanted to be a factory manager. I didn't really realize that outside of manufacturing, um, that I could apply my skills in other industries. I had a project, I did a project in grad school with, um, with a local hospital, how do we reduce the wait time of the emergency room, it was nine hours for a patient to get into a room, right? So like that was interesting to me. Like, oh, it's an operation and I can do that. Like I get that. But now, and so I started seeing like industries and things differently now because I can apply my skills in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the program is I took an internship um, for Zara, the clothing company, at their headquarters in Spain. And I was a data scientist and um, Zara was, this is before data scientist was called data scientists. 
But essentially, you know, Zara has always been ahead, I think, of of the industry, not just in the retail and the fashion space, but also in their investment in technology. And um, I was building algorithms to determine, like, where's the best place to to sell the, the clothes, like what location, what store should it go to? Wow. And so, you know, now it's like now I'm working in retail. Right. And it was just so interesting to me, like the different things that I could do. Um, and it was because I was just exposed now to yeah. these things. See, this is and this also, I I hope that the people who are viewing and listening to this are seeing just sort of how broad that you know you can so you can go wide or you can go deep or you can go wide and deep within engineering there's like it's the principles right so once you have the principles down like there's just there's like you can just you can go anywhere because the principles apply across all the the spectrums and the you know what I mean and that's what I keep trying to tell people I think I was I was watching I don't know I was watching something on YouTube the other day like literally just the other day Like, you know, not like last year, two years ago, five years ago, the other day, like maybe two days ago, where they were saying, you know, people get so caught up in like the the roles, like the titles, you know, like facilities director or director of this or project of the and 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 um, I can't remember what the lady was um, the lady's name was, but she was like, you know what, you need to start thinking about what skills you have. Start typing in the skills you have and start searching for those, right? And see and see what pops start, what starts popping up there. And I was like, well, I'll be doggone. (laughs) Yes, because you know, until when I first graduated undergrad, I thought like the jobs I was gonna (laughs) look for were called industrial engineering. Right. No one told me that I could be a procurement specialist or, you know, logistics, supply chain. There's all these things that I could be. But if I just were industrial engineer, it's very limited. Right. Because you have more skills than that. Like along the way, you have learned how to do all logistics and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. Because underneath all of the all of the the heading of industrial engineer, you are you have learned and and mastered a number of things that have you know the skill your skill level is top notch. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know uh, when I was um, in grad school, the program was a leader, an operations leadership program. So we toured factories all over the world. And, you know, I got to see the Toyota, Toyota production in Japan. I went to Hyundai in South Korea. Wow. Um, wow. We, I saw Bollywood studios in India, you know, and then toured different factories here in the U.S., like Boeing and Harley Davidson and Ford, but also pharma companies and food processing companies. and you know, I'm just amazed by operations. And um, when I graduated, I got a job offer and it was based in Arizona and it brought me back home because this whole time I had moved probably like nine times in the course of six years. And I was like, 
I was ready to come back home mm-hmm. at that point. Um, my fr- the job I accepted, honestly, I accepted it because it brought me home. I actually kind of didn't. I was like, yeah, I could do that job. The job was to be a Lean Six Sigma black belt. And I was like, yeah, I could do that job. But it was more like, oh, it takes it's my ticket home. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Ten months into my job, um, I, I got this note, an email of someone who wanted to meet with me. They're like, hey, will you meet with me? You know, I heard about you. Come meet with me uh, in the cafeteria at work. Um, I didn't know who he was. And I actually didn't even know how to pronounce his last name. And so when I get to the cafeteria, I just like ask them, but I'm like, hey, do you know who this is? And how do I say their name? And they're like, oh, that's the factory manager. And I was like, oh, and then they're like, that's him right there. And so the factory manager, I'm sitting there talking to him and he's telling me, oh, tell me about yourself. You know, what is your, you know, what's your goal? What's your dream job? And I was like, I've always wanted to manage a factory. Like, that's my goal. And I was like, I just started in this company, but I'm not working in the factories. I'm doing this, you know, other kind of job. And he goes, well, I have a job position to manage the industrial engineers. Would you be open to that? So I started working for him. And then a few years later, <clears throat> he uh, got a new assignment to help start up a new factory. And so he's like, hey, I need a manufacturing manager to help me start this factory up and get it running. Um, Are you interested in this job? So I got my dream job. And it was um, it was amazing. It was I had over 300 employees. It's a 24 hour operation. We had a higher, we had some of the employees, we had a higher them, we had to set up the factory. I mean, it was a, it was a greenfield startup mm-hmm. and we got it to run. We got it working. We validated, certified the factory. And it was like the hardest job I ever had. It was the most challenging job, but it was the probably the most fulfilling one as well. Um, But what I learned, right, was like, um, once you get your dream job, like you keep dreaming. <laughs> like, of course. What's, you know, what's next, right? <laughs> you know, and um, and so then um before, you know, during uh, during that time, I had gone to uh, an event at work and there was a leader who was talking about how he incubates business in the company and how he started this business and, and the technology that they're building, they want to start it. And it was sounded so fascinating to me. And I was like, my next thing is I want to be a general manager and like run one of these things. And um, I hadn't seen him in probably like three, like the whole time I was running the factory, I hadn't seen um, uh, this leader and I ran into him in the same cafeteria, which coincidentally, um, he goes, hey, Orieta, um, I'm expanding my team. My team is growing. We need to grow our revenue. And I need someone with an operations background to help me with that expansion, right? Are you still interested in coming over to the business side? Mm-hmm. I was like, yes, Absolutely. So I go and work with him and it's within like the Internet of Things group. And so these are now devices and technology where, you know, building solutions. Um, and I took product marketing. You know, I I became, you know, I was working in business development, 
product marketing. And within five years, I became the general manager for the vertical that focuses on hospitality, uh, restaurants, and entertainment. And this happened right when the pandemic happened. Hotels all closed. Wow. Restaurants were like half, like half of them closed. Yeah. Um, entertainment venues were shut down completely. But um, restaurants were the ones who were like, hey, I still want to service my company. They didn't have ways for like online ordering. They didn't have the technology. They're like, I need to get more people through my drive through because they can't come in. Um you know, I don't have workers, people, there was a a labor shortage and they needed technology. How do I help with taking orders, whether that's a kiosk, whether, you know, um, different methods of doing that. And so um, that was the work that I was doing. And I had a global team, um, I had a global team. Uh, The the business was a hundred million dollar business in revenue. And, and, and again, like, I I had learned from operations and I used that to then learn product marketing and business development and incubation, essentially. Right. Oh, love that. So it's almost like you, so throughout your whole career, is that, you know what I love about you telling this story is that you have learned how to sort of pivot, right? Mm-hmm. You, and you've also learned when it was time to, to change, right? When it was time to go. And this is one of the the things that um, that I've been hearing more from from women um, and women of color is that it's like learn learn when it's time to go right and not not necessarily when it's time to sort of like you know like something bad is happening right it's right. time to go but is but when it's when it's time to shift and move right when it's time to make that change. When it's time to um, to just sort of like move for yourself, right? Time to to shift up, shift shift out, shift over, right? You know, because sometimes when we um, sometimes we stay too long, right? In in roles where where we're not growing, um, and that's not good for us either. It's it's about knowing ourselves when it's time for us to like. I've learned all I learned all I can here and it's time for me to move. Um, and it's and I'm really happy to hear that you were able to do that and you were in a place where you were able to do that, um, whether you you moved um, so that you could grow where you, you went to MIT and you, you learned what you needed to learn. You moved up, you moved out, you moved, you know, you did all those things. I just love that for you. I just, it makes me so happy. (laughs) And and I think, you know, um, you're right. When to pivot is so important. And one of the things is when I was a manufacturing manager, uh, my manager's great. Um, He had over 30 years running factories, starting factories. And, you know, I was like, he was like, you know what? You've learned like 95% of the job. Like the job of being a factory manager. And he was like, the other 5% is you'll just learn that like across over the years, yeah. but the bulk of it, you had already learned. And he was really the one was like, I think it's time for you. Like you can stay here and wait for like, you know, someone to retire or whatever he goes, but you learned the job mm-hmm. and um, you know, you can keep trying to do bigger factories or multiple factories. Um, 
but he was just like, you know, you need to continue to keep trying to grow and learn. And I think that like push too, I was like, yeah, because I was feeling that, right? Yeah. I was feeling that because the hardest part of the factory was the ramp part. And when it was stable, I was like, oh, okay, like it's running. I mean, there's challenges of running a factory in general, but it's much different when you're trying to just get it to work. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, so there's a, there, there's a, there's a, okay, so what, what's, what's left or what's next, right? Oh, so, well, I'm not done with my story. Well, I know that, I know that, but. You- no, I'm just kidding. I like, so I've since pivoted again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and earlier this year, now I'm working in corporate social impact. And that's, that is that. Wow. So how did that. How did you go from, I mean, cause that's a, that's a shift. It's a big shift. And, you know, so last summer I was working with an executive coach. And mm-hmm. so um, I've been doing outreach work since I was, I, I would say a kid. Cause I think I was in seventh grade when I was voted class president and I served in student government all through high school, Do you know, in college, I was like on the executive board of my sorority. I was on the, the leader of the Latino council on campus. I was a student senator at MIT. So this work, like I've done in all my community service work, I've served on nonprofit boards, um, give back all the time. And so like, it's just natural. This stuff is kind of like natural for me. I've always done it in my free time. And so when I was talking to my executive coach, because I was in that spot, like where you talked about, like, what's next? What do I do? Um, And then he said, hey, have you thought about, um, you know, doing this work (laughs) as your work (laughs) and not making it like, you know, your time? Um, Because for me, I think, you know, you talked about this earlier about, you know, getting, um, uh, looking for that title. When I first started my career, I was looking for the title. I wanted that man, man, manufacturing manager title or factory man. That was the title I was searching for because that was a job I wanted. So I felt in my 20s, it was very much about finding like, um, it was more the job. Yeah. Then the GM was the title of general manager. And now I'm like, all I really care about is impact. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and I think that changes also, you know, how you come to work, the type of work that you do, right? And I think that only comes through a progression of, you know, for me, it's been 20 years, but it comes with just time. Well, I mean, yeah. And, and well, you've also, you know, I mean, you've also matured. And, and so I think that comes with, you know, your life and progression and stuff like that. And and you know better, right? Like over, over time, you've learned, you've done the things you've, you've, you've achieved and you're like, you know what? I've done, I've done the things. So now, now it is about impact. It's like, what, what impact have I left? Um, Mm -hmm. Will I leave? Um, And all that stuff. So I've, I feel that in such a way. I mean, I felt that when you said that, I felt that. Yeah. So tell me what hastened this book, though. Yeah. So, um, so you know, um, in this talk, right, where I was like, how do I make a bigger impact? Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. right? I mentor people at work. I um, I mentor uh, students at the at at the university here locally. Um, I interview high school students who 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 um, who want to get into MIT. And in those discussions, I just learn about you know what's top of mind for the students. And I was like, how do I just share more? Mm-hmm. Um, in this space, right? How can I amplify um, this um, this really need of with women and the isolation, specifically like in engineering, right? Um, I was reading, you know, NSF's newest um, data was, you know, thirty four percent of STEM professionals are women, so it's a third, which is great. Yeah. But when you look at social sciences, it's 60% of the women at, um, when you look at physical science, it's 40% are women, yeah. but in engineering, it's 16%. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, 26% of college grads are women in engineering, but in the first 10 years, half leave. Right. And so how do I reach that? How do I reach them? You know, and I, I, a few years back, I was at a, a SWE uh, conference and we're at a round table. And there was this, um, this um, girl, a woman next to me and she had, she's probably one or two years um, after graduation in her company. And you could tell she like wanted to just let out. She was asking the women for like advice and you could just tell she just had no one to talk to and she had been holding like whatever frustrations from work she had. And they're all the same frustrations, you know, it's the same, the same that I had when I first started. And, you know, she's in like a small place. There's not a lot of women. You don't know, you feel isolated, you know, you don't know how to ask for help. You don't know what help to ask for. And, and, and I, how do I reach them? Do you know, how do we reach her and all of them? And so I said, well, what if I just write a book mm-hmm. and the book, you know, shattering the STEM ceiling, you know, con- uh, conquering obstacles and advancing as a woman in STEM. And, and that's why I wrote it. And so the book isn't my story. I think here I told you my story. The book isn't about me. The book is about what does it take to progress um, in, in the STEM fields? And, you know, uh I share stories of, you know, my peers, my classmates, my mentees and how they overcame certain barriers. Right. And and also highlight successful women in STEM, because I do think it's important to know, like, you're not alone. One, there's been people that come before you. You just can't see us. Right. Because we're moms. We're caregivers. We're, you know, we're also trying to climb our own ladder. And not only that, like we're also trying to fight for women rights everywhere. And so it's hard to spot us or to see us, but we want to help you. Oof. I need to take a minute because I felt that um still um I mean my listeners know I'm a I'm a I'm a mechanical engineer um also so two engineers talking about this and um yeah, I felt that because it's so true. I mean, we're still we're still fighting, unfortunately. We're still having to fight these fights um, because unfortunately it's still it's still a white man's world, right? 
unfortunately, we're still out here. Um, we're still out here in the trenches. Um, still, some of us are still, um, still, you know, still fighting for raises. We're still fighting for positions. We're still, you know, still fighting for our voices to be heard. There's still some of us who can't. Um, I've, I'm still having to have conversations behind the scenes. There's still women who won't come on my show because they are scared to tell their story. They are literally afraid. They have stories to tell, but they're like, I can't, I can't. Yeah. There are there are literally women who are like, I can't. This is still our industry, right? Yeah. I loved being engineer. I still, I'm still an engineer. Yes. There, you I will always be. <laughs> I will always be an engineer, but but there are still, there's still drama and trauma happening. Mm-hmm. It right? is. So I think we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to that next generation coming behind us and those that are still in it to tell our stories loud and proud. And so I am so grateful to you for, A, for coming on and telling your story, for writing this book, for getting it out there to the the public so that another avenue for voices to be heard, for stories to to be put out there. It's just... We need this on so many different levels. We all the avenues that we can get the voices out there. Thank you so much for just being courageous enough to write, courageous enough to be a voice. Um, we need it um, because it it's just. I mean, unfortunately. There are too many of us that are still fighting and struggling, and there's too many of us whose voices have been silenced and are still being silenced um, in the struggle. Um, And it shouldn't be a struggle, but it still is, unfortunately. Um, And and I know we know, um, you know, I'm sure I I know I'm thinking of a couple right now of our sisters um, that are still fighting the good fight. Unfortunately, it shouldn't be a fight, um, but are still, you know, going into buildings every day and they're, you know, and you're like, girl, you need to, I want you, you shouldn't have to be fighting. And the other day was interesting. Um, uh, I had a a reader. Um, She, um, she's uh she just started her career and she read my book and uh, I was talking to her and she's like she's like what do we do like what do we do about this right and it, it it's hard because I don't think it's up to that 22 year old to change company culture right and we can't um and even you know, women been been fighting for rights for <laughs> for hundreds of years. You know, it's not up to that one person. And, and I also think that just like you, we talked about, you have to pivot. We also have to pivot. Like company culture isn't like a one person's thing that can change. And like you have to be somewhere where you can be yourself and you're appreciated and you can grow. Yeah. And you know. Um, the 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 number the retention number that the retention rate doesn't surprise me but you know what's interesting though is that um 50% of startups in the US are women founders 
and 47% are women of color. And so what we are doing is like, if we're not finding the right things, we're creating it. And to me, that's inspiring. Yeah, it's, 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 it's lovely. Um, And we are doing that. We are, we are finding, we are creating our own spaces, um, own spaces and own places. Um, And so um, the other side of that is that, you know, um, the other place, the other side of that is that we now we need people to fund us. Yeah, Um, that's the other. It is. That's the other part of that. (laughs) Exactly. So. But the trend that there's so many now where before it was like maybe 30%, I think that is what, you know, and we're seeing changes. Um, You know, there are some changes, but I think we have to do it together. And it's not just women that have to do it. We need allies and we need all allies to help us, to help, um, to help us, you know, whatever role we're in and industry. And I think part of it is also, I don't think people know how to be an ally or what, you know, or what that means. And it's not always being a mentor because being a mentor is I'm, you know, helping you solve a problem or giving you advice, but being an ally is how are you, am I opening doors? How am I stopping certain behavior? How am I addressing these behaviors? And, you know, um, or allies and sponsors. We so, see now we're, we can talk about this. This is a whole nother episode. Yeah. Um, allies and sponsors. And we, I mean, that again, that's a whole nother episode, which we can do a part two. Yes. We can do a part two. We can do a part two. Um, we can do a part two. We can do a part two. Mm. I will do a part two. Okay. But, but, so, yes. all right. So, um, what I want to end on it. Well, two things, tell people where they can find you because people, two things, one, tell people where they can find the book and then tell people where they can find you. All right. You can find me uh, at my website, www.orietaverdugo.com. So it should be in the link uh, or it should be uh, on the bio. In the show notes, they, they can find it all in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> Um, and you can find my book on Amazon, um, Shattering the Stem Ceiling. Um, uh, and I think, you know, I would love if you, um, once you read the book, reach out. I want to hear your testimonial. I want to hear about it. What did you, what resonated with you? Um, that is also important, right? Because I want to be, I, I want to make sure that um, if I'm here to help and however that may look, um, reach out because I think sometimes we're afraid to do that. You know, I love that. If you guys, when you guys read the book, um, please reach out to her. Um, are they able to do it on your website? Yeah, you can reach out on the website. Okay. So she's asking you guys to, to reach out to her on her website, leave a comment, let her know how you felt, you know, let her know what page, you know, sort of, or what chapter resonated with you the most. Oh my goodness. Um, I need, I'm, I'm personally asking. So when I get my copy, um, I'm going to need, I don't know how we're going to do this, but we'll, we'll work it out because I'm going to need mine to be autographed. I'm just saying. I mean, I can, I can work that out for you. Okay. So the YouTube um, channel is just getting me dancing around. <laughs> to dance. Okay. Um, so, so um, there's got to be some perks to this job. So I'm going to wait because... <laughs> 
Um, so I get an autographed copy. Yeah. Okay. Um, so last, last question. I don't, I haven't asked a lot of questions, but this one is, of course, this is how we end every show. Um, if you could travel back through time and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give her and why? I would say like, keep following, like keep following your instincts Mm -hmm. because um, my decisions in, in the course of that was something that came within that, that, you know, like, I don't know, you call it your aura, you could call it your spirit, you know, it depends on what people believe, but like, it felt warm for me when every decision I made. And so once I made the decision, I'm going to move to Mexico. There's no turning back. Like I'm in Mexico. When I made the decision, I'm quitting my job. I quit my job. And I didn't go back and think about, did I make the wrong decision? No, because now I could just focus on that decision and continue through it. Um, and the other thing was keep shooting for like these moonshots. You know, being a factory manager, like there wasn't, I, I was working at a company and they, I don't know, thousands of uh factories, it wasn't too many women. And so having that goal really steered me into a direction to try to get there. And so I think, you know, um, I didn't know that like by me saying it and telling people that I wanted to do something that somehow the universe aligned it, you know? And, and so I think we need to share, um, continue to share what you want to do because um, you're planting seeds and you don't know like who's going to listen, who's going to call you, what's going to happen. Because when you tell somebody, I want to get here and do this one day, like the universe is listening. Yeah. Oh, can I just say that has been my absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. I just have loved every bit of this interview. Thank you. I I love it. I love everything that you're doing for our community, you know, and, you know, we have to keep telling our stories. Um, The good, the bad. Yeah, same. All right. So you guys, this this concludes today's episode of Stimming in Stilettos. And as, um, as I do... Every single episode, you guys, keep yourselves safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stimming in Stilettos. Please check out the show notes to get additional information about today's guest or today's topic. You can find the podcast on every major podcast platform. You can find additional information about Dr. Tasha at www.drtasha.com. Thanks again, and don't forget to tune in every Tuesday for the latest episode of Stimming in Stilettos.